And so, Lord Jesus, Son of David, we do cry out to you. We ask that you would help us to see, help us to preach. Have mercy on us, Son of David, Lord Jesus, amen. Hey, it's uh, come to my attention that some of you have not been understanding everything in each sermon, and so you obviously have a problem. And so I wanna begin this week's sermon with an awareness test. Please obey the instructions on the screen. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? It's easy to miss something that you're not looking for. And so how many of you the first time around saw the moonwalking bear? Okay, now, Mark, uh, how many of you have seen tests like this and so you knew not to count the passes but to look for the moonwalking bear, right? Yeah, I knew it. So it does make a, a fascinating point, you see, and that is we see what we expect to see. We see what we focus upon. I'm sure some of you have seen pictures like this, right? It probably doesn't work from the distance that you're at, but this was right in front of your face. If you look at this, and I've, I've done this, you can get pictures like this online or wherever, but if you hold this like a two feet in front of your face and you allow your eyes not to focus on the two-dimensional picture, uh, but to focus behind the, the picture, suddenly something comes into focus, a three-dimensional woman running from a three-dimensional monster. The monster is really in the picture. You just can't see it in two dimensions. I mean, maybe there are realities we just can't see in three dimensions, but they're really there. Maybe something has a leash on the monster in even another dimension. You just can't see it if you focus on this world. We see what we expect to see. We see what we focus upon. We see what our minds can make sense of. That's why optical illusions are so fascinating, like this one. Is that a duck, or is it a rabbit, or is it some kind of duck bit? We don't know. Uh, where are the staircases going? Is the dancer, is she spinning counterclockwise or clockwise? You see, our minds are constantly trying to make sense out of what we see. And if we can't make sense out of what we see, sometimes we choose to just not see. Lucille Goodyear reported to Paul Harvey News that she'd been having all kinds of trouble driving to and from work. She says it used to be easy, no traffic problems, no mad rat race, but now, wow, I mean cars just coming from every direction. She says it's been that way ever since she got her new glasses. It's easier just not to see. 
My, my mom told me about this amazing experience she had when she was a little girl. Her, her, my grandpa, her dad, came in from the fields where he had been working, and she said he was just like white as a sheet. As he sat at lunch with my grandma, my mom's mom, he remembers that my grandpa told uh, my grandma about how he was out on the tractor and this huge metal cylindrical uh, saucer-shaped object just came and hovered over his head and then immediately vanished. She remembers that my grandpa was totally discombobulated and unnerved, and then she remembers that after that day, he couldn't remember that anything unusual had ever happened. He couldn't make sense out of what he saw, and so he didn't see. He forgot. In the movie Shutter Island, Leonardo DiCaprio's insane, but he begins to remember, uh, he begins to see that he's actually a murderer and he chooses not to see. He chooses to get a lobotomy. In the movie num the number 23, Jim Carrey is haunted by the number 23. As the film progresses, the viewer begins to realize that it's all related to the fact that Jim Carrey murdered this woman and then hid the truth from himself. And so all he remembers is this number 23 that keeps popping up. The movie ends with the Bible verse, Numbers 32, 23, plastered on the screen, be sure your sin will find you out. I mean, ever since I was a boy, I don't know if you've done this, but, but I, have. I, remember, I remember wondering about this many times. How would I handle it if, God forbid, I accidentally killed someone? Or even worse, that I, that I did it on purpose. Would I even allow myself to see it? Helen Keller, you know, the deaf, blind, mute, she, 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 she once said through Annie Sullivan, who would help her speak, there is a blindness far worse than mine, those who can see and choose not to see. Well, I think that's true. And yet I'm not sure that we can blame people for that choice, for they're literally unable to handle the truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. Can you handle the truth? Well, anyway, now that you've taken the awareness test, let's look at our scripture, because this, it's blown my mind for quite some time. Never preached on it, but Luke 18, 31. And taking the 12, like the 12 tribes of Israel, Jesus said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, the city of peace, the hope of Israel. According to the prophets, the joy of the whole earth. We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. See, you do. Look, behold, I want you to see this. We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, will be finished. Tell us, Thesetai, from Teleo, everything written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. That's an absolutely incredible statement. I'm not sure I ever saw it before. Like the crowd then in John chapter 12, we, we want to ask, well then, who is this son of man? <laughs> and what is written about him in the prophets? You know, it's interesting that scholars really don't know exactly what Jesus meant by the son of man. In scripture, son of man uh, does seem to mean most often son of 
man. <laughs> so like uh, Jerry's one of those. Your dad was a man, right? So you're a, you're a son of man. It's any ordinary man or woman. And yet in one place in the prophets, the phrase refers to something or someone else that appears to be rather extraordinary. You're extraordinary too, Jerry, but this is really extraordinary. Daniel 7, Daniel has a vision and sees God the ancient of days, surrounded by fire. The, the principalities, the beasts of this world are defeated and disarmed. And then in verse 13, we read this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, look, see, see this. With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, some modern translations say peoples, but the, the Hebrew is people, King James says people, that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away forever without end and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's, that's amazing. This son of man is given dominion such that all people should serve him, such that every knee should bow and every tongue give praise. Daniel sees like a UFO, <laughs> an unidentified flying object, a thing very difficult to incorporate into his present map of reality, and yet a thing he must incorporate into his present map of reality. In fact, in Daniel chapter two, he'd interpreted this dream for King Nebuchadnezzar about a stone cut by no human hand that struck the images of the kingdoms of this earth, destroying those images, and then growing into this great mountain that filled the whole earth. That must be the son of man on his mountain, Mount Zion. Jerusalem, give me this amazing prophecy. And then in chapter nine, and this is absolutely incredible, Daniel seems to prophesy exactly when this will happen. 490 years, and, and, and is Allison here? Oh, I think Daniel's in the Dead Sea Scrolls, isn't it, somewhere? Okay, so that means that it was written before, uh, these scrolls were there probably before Jesus was even crucified. I mean, it was amazing. So 490, in Daniel 9, uh, Daniel prophesies that this will happen in 490 years. Daniel 9, 24. 70 weeks of years for Jerusalem to finish transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal vision and prophet and anoint a most holy place. After an anointed one, a Messiah is cut off and has nothing. When you do the math, it works out to like 30 or 33 A.D., and that's the way the early church understood this prophecy. I read it in Athanasius just the, the other day. And that's the way Jesus seems to have understood this prophecy. For at just the right time, Jesus says, see, look, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything, everything that's written about the Son of Man in the prophets will be accomplished. Everything that's written about the Son of Man. 
Now, I would suppose that would include the things that are written about the Son of Man in the New Testament. I mean, even the things that Jesus says about the Son of Man. Luke 21, Jesus tells his followers about this great tribulation and that when they see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, they are to know that its destruction is near and flee to the mountains. Jerusalem will be destroyed and people will see the Son of Man coming with great power and great glory. Then Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this generation, this generation, 40 years, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. One generation puts it at like 70 AD. And you see, that's led many to argue that the early church expected Jesus to return in 70 AD and that they were greatly disappointed the early church because he didn't return in 70 AD and they know that he didn't return in 70 AD because they didn't see him return in 70 AD. About 150 years ago, John Darby in Britain as well as millions of people following him in Britain and the United States began to argue that Jesus and Daniel, well they just basically got it wrong and that there was this gap of at least like 2,000 years in Daniel's prophecy, the 70 weeks of years. And so Israel would have to be reconstituted and Jerusalem and the temple would have to be rebuilt in order to be redestored in, in, in order that Jesus, the Son of Man, could come back and claim his kingdom. Now, if you're ever tempted to think theology doesn't matter, I just want to point out a few things in this picture. The men in black are part of the Islamic State. They believe that Jerusalem belongs to them. Many Jews argue that no, Jerusalem belongs to them. Both Jews and Muslims reject the idea that Jesus is the Son of Man. The men in orange are Christians. And they believe Jesus is the Son of Man who said, my Father's house is to be a house of prayer for all people. Who taught, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. With what? Body broken and blood shed. These Christians believe that in the words of Isaiah, they are to speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. That her iniquity is pardoned. They believe a new Jerusalem is coming down like a gift from heaven, from God. But the men in black hate the men in orange. In the video, they call them that they put out, relate that this come, in the video, they call them crusaders. For in the Middle Ages, Christians using that term tried to take Jerusalem by force. And, and now they argue that in league with the Jews, Christians are still trying to take Jerusalem by force. And it seems that many Christians are trying to take Jerusalem by force because they do not believe that everything written about the Son of Man in the prophets happened 2,000 years ago. So they think it still needs to happen, and it will happen with our help. And so men kill people trying to take Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the people they kill. That almost sounds diabolical. Well, I'm just saying that theology matters. 
For what you think you see or don't see determines everything you do. What's real in the imagination is real in its consequences. Theology matters. And now I, I want to I add this. I, I really don't know what the kingdom of the United States of America should do about this situation. You can make a very good biblical argument that the principalities and powers of this world should do something about this situation. So I really, I mean this. I don't know what the kingdom of the United States of America is to do about this situation, but I do know what the Son of Man and his kingdom has done and is doing about this situation. Jesus said, see, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that's written uh, about the Son of Man in the prophets will be finished. And on a tree in the garden in Jerusalem, the Son of Man lifted his head and he cried out, it is finished. And Mount Zion began to shake. And tombs were opened, just as David prophesied in chapter 12. In Matthew 27, saints came out and they went into the city. <laughs> the old city? No. The holy city. The new Jerusalem. The supreme weapon of the men in black is killing. The supreme weapon of the men in orange is dying. In the name of Jesus, the Son of Man. Jesus said to his disciples, I will come for you and take you to where I am going. I believe that last week these 21 men saw the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory and that this day, today, they are with him in paradise, in a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, they stand before the great Son of Man. And I think that last week, those 21 men in black also saw the Son of Man, yet I don't know that they recognized him, and if they did for a moment, they probably shut their eyes, but they saw him, for he was there, suffering in the men in orange, and I think even in the men in black. Well, Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 17, Elijah has come, and they did not recognize him. So it is with the Son of Man. It's like the Son of Man is coming all the time, but we don't recognize him. Yet one day we will all see him, as Zechariah said, all will look upon the one whom they have pierced. One day the men in black will see him in glory and if they haven't yet learned to trust him, they'll run in terror, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him. This is Revelation 6. Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Yet even these that run and hide from the Lamb in outer darkness are part of the dominion given to the Son of Man. So eventually they will see him truly and so will serve him truly. They will bend the knee and worship. Luke 18, 31, so Jesus says, see? Can you see? 
we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written about the Son of Man in the prophets will be accomplished. You know, I think if you really read scripture carefully, you'll see that the early church, I mean, that's guys like Matthew and Paul and Luke, the early church, they were not disappointed. They did not think that they were wrong about the end of the age and the return of Christ and the Son of Man receiving his kingdom. Listen to what Matthew records in Matthew 28. The resurrected Christ says to his disciples, all authority, do the math, how much authority is left? Zero, right? All authority, all power has been given, has been given unto me. Matthew 26, Jesus in front of the religious leaders. He says this, from now on, from this point, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In Acts 7, as he's being stoned to death, Stephen looks up and he sees Jesus on the clouds at the right hand of power. In Acts 8, Rabbi Saul, who helped stone Stephen, sees Jesus coming from heaven as a brilliant light. Jesus basically kills the Pharisee Saul and gives birth to St. Paul. Jesus blinds Saul. And then Paul begins to see a whole new world. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians that the manifestation of his presence destroys the Antichrist. The, the, or the lawless one. In Revelations, Jesus appears to John, and the glory, remember, it makes him fall as if dead until Jesus walks over to him, puts his hand on him, and says, John, it's me, and I got keys, I got keys. Then John sees him coming in a multitude of ways. This old Jerusalem is destroyed, and the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians ten eleven that we are, quote, those upon whom the end of the ages has come. The author of Hebrews writes, Jesus appeared, past appeared, happened already, at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of, of himself. I mean, it sounds like the early church, were, they, they were just not disappointed that the end hadn't come, for they were convinced that the end had come, and that the judgment had happened, and that the Son of Man had already received his kingdom, just as described in Daniel chapter seven. Crazy. But it gets crazier than that. Because uh, in other places, the Son of Man is, is used uh, in, a, in, a, in a rather different way. Um, and the other place that the Son of Man is used rather conspicuously is in the book of Ezekiel. Of 110 times the Son of Man is used in the Old Testament, one of those times refers to that crazy wild vision that Daniel had. 97 of those times referred to the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, 11, God says this to Ezekiel. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Whole deal. They're the bones of those that died never having entered the promised land. Remember all those promises God made to them? The bones of those who never entered the promised land or the city of Jerusalem. God says to Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy to the bones saying, behold, I will raise you from your graves and bring you into the land and put my spirit in you. Prophesy, son of man. You see, it's like, number one, the kingdom of the son of man has come. And number two, the kingdom is coming through us when we prophesy. What scripture says is the testimony of Jesus. And it gets weirder than that. 
For clearly, son of man usually just means man, like in Psalm 144. Oh Lord, what is man, Adam, that you regard him, or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Remember in the Bible, we are Adam. Adam means mankind, and Jesus is the eschatos Adam. In Ephesians, Paul makes it clear that we're all united under him, like he's one head united in him like a body, all in him, as if all humanity is hidden in him. And so what's true about him is what's most true about you and me. As if God said, let us make Adam in our own image, and now it is finished. It's as if creation, judgment, and salvation have happened, and all things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's, just like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. It's as if, number one, the kingdom has come, and number two, it's coming through you and in you, and number three, you're it, you son of man. And Jesus says, see. Yeah. Do you want to see? Would you see? Do you want to see the Son of Man? Maybe he's kind of like a moonwalking bear. So what do you expect to see? What do you focus upon? How do you make sense of Jesus. Well, you see, I don't think you can make sense of Jesus. But maybe Jesus can make sense of you. And maybe he does make sense of you when you want Jesus, when you expect Jesus, when you focus on Jesus. Well, thinking about this message, I thought, well, I need to just share an illustration with you. And it's an illustration that I've used a bunch of times in the past, and I'm gonna use it a bunch of times in the future, so just prepare yourself. In 1884, Edwin Abbott published this little book entitled Flatland. Flatland is about these two-dimensional creatures that live in this two-dimensional world. You see, if we lived in Flatland, okay, two-dimensional, two-dimensional world, all we could perceive would be two-dimensional objects, like this. What's this, class? A square, right? Or a, a circle, or maybe a rectangle. That's all that we could uh, perceive. That's all that we would know, two-dimensional objects. But suppose three-dimensional objects intersected our world, because what's this? There's a cube, okay? There's a cube. And if, if it intersected flatland, what would we see? A square, that's right, okay? Okay, now this, this is a sphere, three-dimensional object. If it intersected flatland, what would we see? A circle, right? It'd be pretty amazing, too, because it went, well, there's a, and then a circle, and then it disappeared, but we'd, we'd, see, we'd see a circle. Uh, we might call it a sphere. I mean, maybe someone came along and said, well, that's really a sphere, and we might say, oh, yeah, I know spheres, but we'd actually have no idea what a sphere was. Okay, imagine this. Imagine um, if a cylinder intersected flatland, okay? If it intersected flatland like this, what would we see? Circle. But if it intersected flatland like this, what would we see? Rectangle. Okay, suppose that someone from a three-dimensional world was born into the two-dimensional world and a cylinder intersected our world and, and he said, hey, look at that cylinder. And we said, oh, you mean that circle? He said, no, that's actually a cylinder. He said, yeah, whatever. Okay, and then let's say it intersected our world again right here and he said, hey, um, look at that cylinder. And we said, well, that's not a, cyl that's not a cylinder. That's a, that's a circle. And he said, well, actually, the circle is a rectangle and they're both called a sphere and we don't I'll say, you're crazy. 
That's, that's insane. That just doesn't make any sense uh, whatsoever. He, he might say things uh, uh, like, uh, I am the father I want, and we'd say, you're crazy. That makes uh, no sense whatsoever. He might say, love is God, and we might say, no, it isn't. It's oxytocin and hormones and, and chemicals in your blood. He might say, look, the son of man has disarmed the principalities and powers of this world, and we'd say, no, you're crazy. All I see is a, a dead, naked Jew hanging on a tree. He might say, look, the temple's being filled with fire. And we'd say, no, that's just a bunch of hippies having a party on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, he might say something like, look, it's the new Jerusalem coming down. And we'd say, no, it's just those hippies sharing all of their stuff. He might say, look, the slaughtered lamb is being thrown on the very judgment seat of God. And we'd say, are you insane? All we see is the bodies of 23 headless Egyptians bleeding in the desert. He might say, look, the Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven, and we'd say, are you crazy? All we see is death, destruction, and despair, and a few people mumbling about another world. You know, physicists postulate multiple dimensions to our reality. That's actually the only way that they can get the math to work in, in physics. Uh, other dimensions, well, well, God made all dimensions including time. So imagine if we made time one of the dimensions in flatland. In other words, imagine a timeline, okay? So this is one of the dimensions from beginning uh, to end. Now, Christians believe that God made the timeline and that God in Jesus entered the timeline in the, in the form of a baby. And then he suffered and died on a tree in a garden in Jerusalem once and for all, like once and for all time. And ever since that point, he's been coming in the form of Jesus, the Son of Man, on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And so you see, from the standpoint of eternity, his coming would be like one moment, but from the standpoint of flatline, it, uh, flatland, it, it, would be, it would be all moments, right? So I mean, imagine if I was Jesus, I could do this. I could hold flatland right here, just like an inch from my face, and say, behold, flatland, my kingdom is at hand. And it would be at hand at every point in Flatland. And then suppose I were to say this, behold Flatland, I am the beginning and the end, and I am coming soon. <laughs> and I jam Flatland into me or jam me into Flatland. I would have come at every point in Flatland, right? And yet it would have been one point in eternity. I, I see, I think Jesus is coming all the time. He comes in the form of your neighbor. He comes in the form of a hug. He comes in the form of a smile or a sunset or maybe a beggar on the street corner and maybe a worship song. He's coming all the time. And he is coming at the end of your time when his glory is revealed. Luke 21, he says, watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of flatland, this world. And that day come upon you like a trap. 
Stay awake at all times that you may stand before the Son of Man. You see, I think that means look for love now. Look for truth now. Look for light now. Fall in love with love now that you may stand before the king of love on that day and surrender to love in absolute joy rather than run in terror, hiding yourself in the dark corners of flatland, the outer darkness, the depths of this earth. So Jesus says, see. It's like it really matters to him that you would want to see. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will deliver over to the Gentiles, deliver, uh, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, the 12, and they did not grasp what was said. They did not see. It was hidden. Maybe they hid it. Maybe God hid it in his mercy, but, but it was hidden. There are, there are certain things, I think, that you can only truly see if you want to see them. No, I was trained in the sciences, and I, I love science. In science, where we learn about objects, the idea that you can only see what you want to see is considered terrible science. However, in relationships, where we learn about people, it's a very, very different story. In fact, there was a part of my wife that I wasn't allowed to see until she knew I wanted to see. In fact, until she knew I wanted to see so very badly that I'd enter into a covenant with her and give my entire life to her, I couldn't see it until she knew I wanted to see her. Until then, it remained hidden, like the inside of some sacred temple. To raid that temple, taking carnal knowledge from that temple, is sin and death. But to worship love at that temple is the very conception of life. Verse 33, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. It was hidden from them. I don't think they wanted to see. Maybe we don't want to see. Maybe we don't want to see the new Jerusalem because we're just highly invested in the old Jerusalem. Maybe we don't want to see Christ in us, the new man, because we're just highly, we put a lot of work into the old man. Maybe we don't want to see Jesus, that is Yahashua, God is salvation, Jesus. We don't want to see God as salvation because we're convinced that we are salvation. You know, according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, just seeing the Christ destroys the Antichrist, the, the lawless one. Antichrist doesn't mean so much against Christ, but imitation Christ. And John writes that there are many Antichrists. It's the belief that we're saved by what we know. In John's day, it was usually referred to, we refer to it now as Gnosticism, taking knowledge to save yourself, making yourself the Christ. Well, 
Just the manifestation of the true Christ destroys any imitation Christ that you or I would create. In the light of Christ, I see that my will is not the Christ. In fact, my will has actually crucified the Christ. You know, I told you that ever since I was a little kid, I wondered how I would handle the idea that I might have killed somebody. Would I refuse to see it? Like in Shutter Island or the number 23? Would I go and say, would I go and, would I just go blind? Well, you know, St. Paul, when he saw it, he did go blind. And then he saw, he saw a whole new world. In the presence of Christ, I come to know evil, for I have killed the Christ. And in the presence of Christ, I come to know the good, and that is that God in Christ let me. He forgave me. That's called grace, and his grace is life. Life from the tree of life, the cross. I mean, it's incredible, incredibly great and good news. It's just news. It's just the way it is. It's incredibly good news, but it, it burns your eyes the first time you see it. Seeing Christ destroys your antichrist. Seeing the true man destroys your false man and creates the new man. You die with Christ and you rise with Christ. So, so you see Christ, Jesus the Christ, really is better than you thought. And check this out. You are better than you thought. And Jerusalem is way better than you ever imagined. Seeing Christ destroys your antichrist. Seeing the true man destroys your false man. Seeing the new Jerusalem, well, it finally allows you to surrender the old Jerusalem. History reveals that in 70 AD, the Christian community in old Jerusalem, they read the signs that Jesus had talked about, and they fled to the Judean hills when the Roman eagle standard showed up around Jerusalem, and the armies amassed against the city, they, they could surrender old Jerusalem, why? Because with the eyes of their heart, they saw the new Jerusalem. They saw the kingdom that the Son of Man receives from the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7. All people, nations, and languages serving and worshiping Jesus forever without end. They saw that. Do you want to see that? They saw what John saw in Revelation 5. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them praising the slaughtered lamb standing on the throne. They saw the new Jerusalem and she's a bride. She's not to be taken with guns and armies and tanks. She's to be received as a gift. She's, she's a gift of grace. All things are grace. All creation is grace. And, and Christ is grace. You are grace. Everything's grace. So if you can't see grace and don't want to see grace, well, you are just like utterly blind. Even though you think you see. So in, in, in Luke 18, Jesus says to the 12, remember, these are very religious guys, okay? So I'm not just, I'm talking about religious people. Jesus says to the 12, see, but they don't see. So who will see? Next verse, as he drew near Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. 
And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired, what does this mean? And they told him, Jesus, God is salvation, Jesus of Nazareth is walking by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have grace on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy. He really wants mercy. Have mercy on me. He wants to see mercy. Have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Well, Jesus, what do you think he wants? He wants to see. Doesn't every blind man want to see? Well, maybe not. I'm not sure the disciples wanted to see. The scribes and Pharisees definitely did not want to see. Because they think they already see. They think they know what the Christ will look like. They think they know what a righteous man looks like. They think they've built the city of God and therefore deserve the city of God. In John 9, Jesus says this, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. You know, if you think you see, you think that you can find the way. But if you're blind, you must trust that the way will find you. If you're blind, you're forced to live by grace. Verse 39, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. The blind man wants to see because he has no faith in his own vision. He's already lost his own vision, his view, his map of reality. He he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Literally, like the verse we looked at a few weeks ago, your faith has saved you. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Jesus was literally his vision. We, I think that's something like it means like we walk by faith and, and not by sight. So, so, so if you think you see, maybe you'll go blind. In just about six days, the disciples, the disciples will all go blind. They will lose sight of Jesus. They will lose sight of themselves and lose sight of the kingdom. Judas will betray him. Peter will deny him. They will all be scattered, and they will all, well, they will all long to see. And then, in the darkness, they will see. Jesus, and then a whole new world. Ultimately, I believe that even Judas will see, see the light. For like John says, the light shines in the darkness. You know, think about it. Actually, it's in the darkness that we come to fall in love with the light. Many years ago, after giving a concert at some famous church, 
Bill Mann, soloist, was ushered into this back room where a blind, deaf, mute woman was waiting for him. Through her assistant, she asked him to sing a song that he had sung in the concert. She stood just like five inches from her face, placed her fingers upon his vocal cords, and as he sang, were you there? When they crucified my Lord, a tear ran down her cheek, and as he finished indistinctly through the lady that was with her, Helen Keller said, I was there. It's in the darkness that we fall in love with the light. And Jesus is the light. Ultimately, I believe we will all see Jesus and worship Jesus. But just think about it. That day, before the 12 disciples, before Jesus is crucified and resurrected, that day, a blind beggar saw Jesus and worshiped Jesus. His faith had saved him. So, this is a hard question. But if you think you see, well, maybe you'll go blind. And that will be grace. If you think you see, maybe you'll go blind. And if you think you're blind, I mean by that, if, if you haven't seen, you, you know what you expected to see. Things aren't going for you the way you expected that they would go. You don't see what everyone else seems to see. If you can't seem to focus on the things of this world, I mean, this world just doesn't mean the same things to you anymore, and you can't focus upon it. If you can't seem to make sense out of reality, well, maybe reality is about to make sense out of you. If you feel lost in darkness, just call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In fact, we'll just do that all the time, all the time. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In fact, let's just say it together now, okay? Ready? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. One more time. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so on that darkest of nights, the son of David took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. I know it looks like bread, but I don't know, that's what he said. This is my body given to you. And in the same manner, after supper, and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And so see this, see this? Every moment, see this, see this. Keep the eyes of your heart focused on this. And I... I know that's hard. I really struggle to do this, but I think Jesus is constantly saying to me, Peter, see this, see this, see this. Look, look for this. You cannot make sense of this, but this is making sense of you. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel, and if you don't believe, well, you can say, well, Connie, I'd like to believe. Well, then believe and pray, God, help my unbelief. <laughs> I think he's doing that all the time. In Jesus' name, let's worship.
Amen. So I think uh, Jesus is asking, do you want to see? And we all say, yeah, I want to see. I want to see my leg grow out like I did at that healing thing. I want to, well, I want to see me win the lottery. I want to, well, yeah, I'd like to see that heaven thing and the clouds and all that. I want to see. But, but I don't think that's what he wants to hear. I mean, he does that stuff. I, I've seen him do that. You may not have, and, and if you haven't, there's a reason for that, I'm sure of it. I, I mean, I, I think he, he does that stuff, but I think that might sound a little bit like this to him. Would you turn a trick for me? I'd just like to see kind of the outside, Jesus. You know, Jerusalem, it says, is a bride, and inside there is a temple. And in the temple, there's a holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, there's an ark that contained the law. And over it was the mercy seat, which covered the law. And the blood of the lamb is sprinkled on the mercy seat. The inside of that holy of holies is grace. And I think that's why you're in this world. God is asking, do you want to see the inside of my temple? Please want to see the inside of the temple. Do you want to see me? And when you get me, oh yeah, we'll do all that stuff. It'll be awesome. But do you want to see me? So I hope you get this. God really is in charge. And God really is love that is expressed in Jesus the Christ. And you are on a journey through this world of flatland and you will find yourself in some very dark places. And when you find yourself in those dark places, Long for the light, because your Father in heaven is longing to show you the light. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.